0: Welcome back to our podcast on Rethinking the S in Social. So to build on what we've already heard in terms of key social themes and trends that are impacting how investors potentially will look at companies and look at different opportunities, I welcome back the same speakers to talk in more detail about measuring and engaging with companies in terms of their social policies and trends that European investors and Asian investors are highlighting in terms of how they implement the S within the E, S, and G component of their portfolios. Firstly, Elena Tedesco, who's a portfolio manager of Ontoble Asset Management, and our guest speaker today, Adeline Tan, who's the wealth business leader at Mercer in Hong Kong. Thanks to you both for joining us. Clearly, another key area within ESG generally is around measurement of impact as well as engagement. Elena, from your point of view, how do you address both of those aspects within social elements of the ESG function?
1: For measure, what concerns the measuring part of your question, we use some KPIs that try to uh, track what each company does. And this relates to the contribution that they bring to society, the positive contribution they bring to society. So some of the KPIs are extremely specific, you know, depending on, on what the company does, some are a bit broader. But one, that I can mention, is reasonably broad and is the percentage of sales that is derived from an activity that uh, uh, can be traced back to the United Nations SDGs. The second one is a bit more conceptual if you want. And maybe I can can give an example in the healthcare sector. Something that is very important to us is to reduce costs and make sure that the healthcare service is extended to a larger number of people. So we try and measure that. And uh, specifically for instance, uh, when it comes to uh, drug manufacturing, uh, we look at the type of pricing that is applied and we know that generic drugs are sold at a much cheaper price than original drugs, talking about 30 to 90% discount, so significant saving that they bring in. We also know that outsourcing of the manufacturing can uh, generate significant savings along the production chain. And that goes into saving from cost perspective, but also time perspective. And just to give you an indication, it's about 20% or more of cost saving that we're seeing in the manufacturing uh, phase, and six to 12 months in terms of time saving. And if you think of the pandemic, obviously this is crucial. Imagine, you know, the fact we've had uh, vaccines available, reasonably quickly after the beginning of the pandemic was partially also because of the outsourcing of some some processes. So this is how we measure things. We look at the percentage of the revenues and we look at some industry specific uh, indicators. We try also to have a common denominator in terms of the number of people that are reached by a certain amount of products or services, but that's a, a rough estimate. Sometimes it's hard to have a precise number there. Uh, when it comes to engaging, we would not invest in companies that have um, safety issues and bad reputations so that would be like excluded uh, from the beginning. Uh, same if you think of a jewellery, for instance, a jewellery manufacturing company. Clearly, these products are not suitable to our fund, so it would be excluded from the start. But if you look at the companies that we have in the fund and the type of dialogue we have with them, we try to push them to uh, focus their strategy on increasing the significance of the activities that bring in a positive social impact. And for instance, we've recently engaged with a bank to basically ask for greater attention to uh, the offering of mortgages for affordable housing, especially in a country where house prices have ballooned and there's an issue with affordability. And following from that, they've come up with a public statement on their commitment to finance more affordable housing. So this is the type of dialogue we have during the engagement phase with the companies in our portfolio. Ajitin, maybe if I can turn this question to you, it'd be really interesting to see what you're seeing on the ground yourself and what type of other approaches are both the perspective of measuring the impact, but also engaging and doing a ground research on the social front.
2: First of all, investors need to focus about what the social risks are that matter to them the most? How does it relate to the kind of investments they make? You know, whether that be in traditional fixed income, equity, obviously, where there's more disclosures and transparency and reporting, but also private markets where there's not going to be a lot of information. Are they ready to know how they can engage with the GPs based on their principles? And that's not going to work well if they don't have very strong views on what are the social risks that they want to avoid. Another aspect that we do like uh, to see is how fund managers also engage with the companies in order to drive momentum, to drive change. While some sectors are vulnerable to the risks uh, under the social pillar, they are also sometimes in the best position to set the standard, be the market leader and actually define best practices in terms of how those products or those services need to be produced while minimizing social risks and actually still delivering a great outcome for the investors and also society in general. So I guess it's a a two question there. I know we're going to talk a little bit about trends uh, later on of Asia versus Europe, but it'd be good to know how you see trends of engagement by European investors around social issues. At your side of the woods, Elena.
1: Yeah, it's a good point, because I agree with you. Actually, there are some geographical differences. And I sit here in, in uh, Zurich now, in Switzerland, and obviously there's a long tradition of attention to ESG here, especially uh, if you think of our green uh, Switzerland is, as a country overall. I would say maybe the U.S. is somewhat uh, lagging and uh, probably uh, also the rest of, of the world with China, for instance, lagging too, especially in the social and environmental dimension. But I think that we're all moving in the same direction. In Europe, the focus is when it comes to engagement with companies, I think since last year because of the pandemic, but also because of Black Lives Matters and Me Too and some movements that really sc- have come from civil society. I think a lot of attention is now on diversity issues and inclusion, and at the same time, because of the pressure of transforming our economies and uh, companies becoming greener and uh, having some targets for reductions of their own emissions, there's a lot of attention on, on how to manage the transition. And people talk about just transition. So, you know, retraining the workforce, making sure that uh, if a plant needs to be closed because it's uh, unviable, uh, from an environmental and economical point of view, then there's a second chance. We can give a second chance to the workers and and, uh, and retrain them at fronts. And we know that this has been a significant part of the program set by the EU for 55. It's not just about setting targets and talking about carbon prices, reduction limits at uh, various different sectors. But there's also social component uh, and uh, a fund that uh, will be used uh, basically to help uh, vulnerable households in the transition because it's clear that there are some costs associated to adopting a, a greener type of economy. So the household elements, you know, just transition elements and the diversity and inclusions are the the topics, I would say, to come up the most now in conversations with companies. And from our angle, the additional topic would be really to steer the strategy of companies to grow more in the areas that we think contribute to society in a good way. And it's not just because we think it's good. We don't think it's uh, only something that uh, companies should do to look good. We think it actually will pay off. And if you think of the environmental things, it's very clear because uh, the companies that have greener credentials are getting significant market share these days because every single client wants to have a greener production line. And the same applies to some extent to the social issues. Uh, so these are the type of things we're seeing here. But Adeline, maybe you might have some more perspective when it comes to gender in Asia. I know it's all a bit of a topic of the the month uh, in a way maybe you can can share some views there
2: so thinking about the Asia trends and a fair point there around the focus around gender and Asia is always a quite an interesting study being a group of so many markets and you have markets like China where the workforce is, is pretty equal because of its history and how women and men are pretty much treated fairly much the same in terms of what they're able to be exposed to and cost of domestic help is fairly affordable. So for a woman to spend long hours at work and having to build up a career and pursue new ideas and so on, it's pretty manageable as well as the housework. And then you have a country like Japan, where historically there hasn't been as much uh, promotion of women at work. And I know that's gradually changing, but it's certainly a cultural aspect where this is very, very different. So the gender challenge here in Asia really depends on which market you're in and really depends on the the cultural and sometimes even religious aspect, actually, Elena, which may change how individuals prefer to grow and develop. And so in the same case, can corporations do what they can to make it comfortable to create that diverse workforce? It's definitely a challenge across all sectors. I thought it'd be helpful to also think about the Asian investors themselves. And I do serve a lot of clients here that come from um, a background of, I would sometimes call high society. They sit in a lot of our boards and committees of universities, of endowments, of, of certain foundations, so on and so forth. You know, people who have really built a name for themselves and reputation in the market And when the conversation around investing for impact comes about, some of them are actually quite advanced. They actually jump on it and say, there's just not enough ideas. There's not enough securities. They love bonds. So they tend to say, we want more than green bonds. We want social bonds, which are tied to all sorts of measurements about improving the metrics among a particular society. And a great example that I was given, very specific, they actually have a team of three that works on a portfolio and they were very specific where we want to look at education, specifically education of girls in Southeast Asian markets. That's where we want to focus. And we want bonds that are tied to metrics specifically in that area. Now, it's great that you're so advanced in your assessment and analysis about the return possibility in these uh, markets and also even the currency aspect, they've already looked at all that uh, return, just like you would evaluate any bond investment. But to overlay these metrics that they want to see and being so specific about it, I thought was highly, highly advanced versus some of the investors may just look at, well, let's just have an all-round sort of impact fund and then we're we're done with it instead of being so specific. So I guess in, in Asia, it's going to be continuous observation of how different pockets of investors are going to look at the
1: S-pillar when they think about their portfolio. Asia is a fascinating example, if I can jump in on this, because uh, we read a lot about how China is changing and this crackdowns on so many sectors these days. And some of it is based on the idea of redistribution of wealth and more equalitarian society. And also looking at the demographic trends in the country, They're clearly not looking good and they might even end up, you know, similar to Japan or some other European countries. Uh, And it seems quite obvious that, you know, the government is stepping in and uh, trying to help families to some extent, reduce the burden on them. And this is clearly affecting markets. And uh, we have to recognise that there's a link there. When the government steps in talking about gaming, or even uh, you know other sectors in, in in China, it's clear that markets respond. So we we see that. And going back to the uh, to the sophistication of some investors, I think I couldn't agree more. There's a whole spectrum out there, and the green bonds have um, been a trigger a little bit uh, because clearly they've, they've created a bit of a new asset class to some extent. And social bonds are the new thing in town, new game in town. And even from an EU perspective, there's some evolution the same pace because we're talking about the EU taxonomy relating to green funds, but there's also consultation going on to issue an equivalent for social funds. So define exactly what is it social investing and define what are the parameters that count for that. So I think it's a journey. We continue to see more evolution on this. And clearly, different investors will have different focus and. Uh, ultra wealth type of uh, uh, family uh, we'll have a different focus from a, a pension fund but uh, there's definitely more appetite on all fronts and uh, probably not uh, one size fits all at the end of the day I can um, maybe mention the uh, Standards that we're seeing when it comes to a board composition, we see, for instance, in Hong Kong, the recommendation is for a minimum of 20% directors to be female directors, and in Europe, the percentage is much higher, is 30%. So when it comes to voting at AGMs, so obviously, investors such as ourselves and others try to bear in mind what's the local context, because we want to see change, probably you know, 20% is low, 30% is uh, probably even low, I mean, you know, we think at the mankind and how the highest, uh, amount of men and women, but uh, we have to recognise that we're not there yet. So there's an evolution and uh, there are some steps in this journey and we have to recognise the social uh, context at the same time as the market context.
0: Thanks so much for that. I think we'll need to wrap it up there. Adeline, maybe you can provide a couple of takeaways for investors in terms of what action they could take now to incorporate a more significant focus on the S part within their portfolios. And then, Elena, maybe you can add any additional comments after that.
2: Sure, Andrew. I think my favorite word is do not seek perfection. (laughs) The fundamental way to make changes and cause disruption and be part of that journey is to actually take that very first step. So, I guess calling out to investors who feel that the S is still so undefined, so qualitative, so hard to put your finger on, and not something you can compile nicely into an Excel spreadsheet. Set that frame of mind aside because the fact of the matter to start uh, integrating social issues into your conversations with the people managing your capital, you do need to start with building your own knowledge and capacity of what the risks are to your portfolio and feel free to be discussing this openly with your managers because there are actually a lot of of tools that managers are utilizing themselves to understand your own portfolio. So don't hesitate to have that engagement Probably hold back a little on judgment because there is that qualitative aspect, but certainly full-on learning, full-on in terms of engagement, and full-on to define what are the social risks that you wouldn't want to see your portfolio to be exposed to without a good, really a strong a strong rationale. Maybe it's a momentum for change. Maybe there is actually a discrepancy in data that means there's advantages for that portfolio to hold that exposure. Start questioning. That would be my biggest uh, encouragement to all investors.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. Elena?
1: I think I share that. It's about having a dialogue with companies, try to understand what matters for their business and if there's any room for improvement and what, what are the areas that they should focus on, not just from a reputational perspective and doing good perspective, but also in terms of widening their 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 cash and and improving their their operations overall and the fundamentals overall. The work we're doing uh, on our side is on the uh, KPIs and making sure that we have a way to measure this impact. But it's somewhat hard because um, going back to what Adeline said earlier, it's also subjective. And what might matter to a type of investment doesn't necessarily matter to other types of investors. So the KPI might be right or wrong from that perspective. But when there's a doubt, we try and go back to some common sense and uh, what's the underlying goal of a certain type of activity. And it should be also seen in the context of the society where where company operates. And in doing so, sometimes we have to use some alternative data. We have to check the media a bit more and speak with other sources and, and speak with competitors, etc. To to have a feel of something that is not necessarily numerical, but it is, definitely very
0: important these days thanks very much to both of you for such insightful comments social issues clearly as you've both described are going to become more and more central within investment decisions so it's extremely helpful to get these views for our listeners thanks for everyone who's tuned in and we'll look forward to connecting with you again on other key investment related topics soon thank you This recording is for information purposes only, and nothing contained in this recording should constitute a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any investment instruments to affect any transactions or to conclude any legal act of any kind whatsoever, except as permitted under applicable copyright laws. None of this information may be reproduced, adapted, uploaded to a third party, linked to, framed, performed in public, distributed or transmitted in any form by any process without the specific written consent of Vontabel. To the maximum extent permitted by law, Vontabel will not be liable in any way for any loss or damage suffered by you through the use or access to this information or Vontabel's failure to provide this information. Our liability for negligence, breach of contract or contravention of any law as a result of our failure to provide this information or any part of it or for any problems with this information which could not be lawfully excluded is limited at our option and to the maximum extent permitted by law to resupply this information or any part of it to you or to pay for the resupply of this information or any part of it to you. Keep in mind that past performance is not a reliable indicator of current or future performance and forecasts are inherently limited and should not be relied upon as an indicator of future performance. Today's guest speaker is not an employee or representative of Von Tobel. The views expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views and/or policies of Von Tobel.